Ants. In honor of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, what is your favorite cinematic ant moment? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and by default, I am choosing something from A Bug's Life, even though I feel like the ants are not the fun part. It's all the other bugs who are fun, but, you know, something from A Bug's Life. You don't like Flick? Flick's fine. He's just, like, the guy it's about. Flick. Uh, Matt Patches, and I was going to say every close-up shot in Saul Bass's uh, Phase 4. Do you guys see that little sci-fi movie? Crazy little <laughs> experimental film. But uh, I'm actually going to go with a more recent ant moment from Better Call Saul when Saul drops a bunch of ice cream on the ground and ants eat it, and it's some sort of metaphor. I can't remember what. Mm. It, I'm drinking a martini. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, it's me, Dave with the 7, and it's sad but when the honey I shrunk the kid's ant fights the scorpion, saves the kids, and then dies. I liked that ant, and I also wanted to get submerged in a giant bowl of Oreos. Those are the two things that came, I came away from. Wow. a bowl of Oreos. It's a bowl of Cheerios. A bowl of Cheerios, that's right. And climb onto the Oreo and eat all of the filling out of it. Uh, well, the kids was a big although I didn't accurately uh, sum up the movie, I think I did <laughs> accurately say my wish, which is that you bowl want of giant to be in a bowl, of, a bowl of giant Oreos. Yeah, yeah, I'm into that. I mean, then you're less likely to get accidentally eaten by your dad because, like, you wouldn't be floating in milk, I think. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, you would have to be picked up by your dad and he would have to put you in his mouth as opposed to Mm -hmm. scooping you up accidentally because you're drowning in milk. Well, it's nice because he, like, he has to separate the Oreo, so he's at least looking at the Oreo, so maybe I could cling to an Oreo and get you discovered. You don't have to separate the Oreo when you eat it. That's a yeah, absolutely choice. not. I, I, I don't stand for that. I've never been a twist and lick I don't stand for guy. that. Well, yeah, I, I'm not going to object to it, but you know. Oh, I, don't, I don't say lick. I just say, <laughs> why not turn a sandwich cookie into one frosted cookie and one unfrosted cookie? But what would your dad do? And will he eat you? This is a whole <laughs> pooping segment three. We'll get to it later. Let's move on. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 424. It's Pandemic 158. It is the week of Wednesday, February 15th. That's the day that in 399 wow. BC, Socrates was sentenced to death by the wow. city of Athens for corrupting the minds of the youth of the city and for impiety. Mm-hmm. Did he actually get executed? Socrates, I believe so. Why don't so. I know this? You, you think he was just sentenced to death, but wasn't? I don't know. To I death? just feel like if Socrates had been sent, had like been executed, I would know that. Isn't the this is the voting by putting the stones in the the thing, oh. and you, you everybody votes on his death, sentencing him to death. The trial of Socrates. Socrates. I mean, I guess we can all tell that I never took. Why have you done that movie? I never. <laughs> I've. I've I'm sure we have, and we just haven't uh, noticed it. At least there's like, relief yeah. that uh, our our great minds would never be sentenced to death in society today. Uh, they would never, we would never cast stones at them, and we champion intelligence and thoughtfulness in society today. I feel mm. like you're making like a Barry Weiss kind of point right now about what? Like cancel culture. So I'm just like not gonna let you know. What? No, I was I was taking a sta- <laughs> a jab at uh, like Florida and DeSantis no, and all the censorship know, that's happening right now. I know that's that's much I'm more. Sure. Uh, this is a trap. Corrupting the youth. Um, <laughs> this is a trap. We should we should say that since our last episode came out, David had a baby. 
It's a baby now. Yeah, it's true. We should. Yeah, Two babies. That's a private. That moment. that family is a private had. moment. But I think I think David tweeted that he has oh, a baby he's now. He's gonna so. come on and be talking about poop before you know it. He's gonna be I like, mean, "You let me out of the poop discussion." I well, know I have his, his his whole life is poop right now. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's whole what it is. So is poop. Wow. Uh, I mean, don't you remember having a newborn and how much yes, I time you spent still. thinking about poop? Yeah, it, a newborn. I mean, I feel like in the within the year First range year, is a yeah. is a is still newborn in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things. Not like an eighty year old man lives yeah. in my house. Well, not yet. Sometimes they feel like eighty year old men. Anyway, David's not here. He'll be back at some point, but uh, we're carrying on without him. And I hear we at least have an email. Oh, we have reviews. I must have left Ooh. that in from an old note. Uh, nice. We have we have List. reviews. Ooh. This first one is a long one and is only three stars, but I'm going to read it all anyway. Ooh, harsh. Comes from Scarlet Letter 500, who says, and the subject is, isn't it great to be just fine? Uh, I've been listening to this podcast on and off since about 2013, I believe. I probably have listened to at least 80% of the total episodes. The podcast is fine. The hosts are all super knowledgeable <laughs> about film and TV history as they're working critics for various pop culture websites. I've been listening for almost 10 years now, but their episodes are just never top listen and priority for me. I go through phases of being really into them, but sometimes something always pushes me away and makes me too tired to start the new episode until I've absolutely exhausted other podcast options. Maybe it's just the sort of slightly antagonistic elitist vibe the hopes get off with are all together. People say that a good podcast is like listening to and feeling like you're having a conversation with good friends. Listening to this podcast sort of feels like being invited to a hangout with a group of people who think they're better than you. But instead of outright saying, we'll sneer behind your back while always fighting to be the loudest voice. We're not even halfway through. I used to think David Ehrlich was an over-interrupting smug jerk bag while Patches was super hilarious and charming. But I guess a part of growing up is realizing that the opposite is actually true. Patches, please stop self-righteously interrupting every five seconds and trying to overpower the person who was originally speaking. Katie is the best part of the podcast, but I think some of her takes are a little condescending. As a POC, I think some of her opinions re race and representation are quite surface level and actually serve to take agency away from POC and other marginalized groups. I think a straight cis white woman speaking on sensitive issues regarding race or disability is not necessarily something that the public is demanding. This Dave sounds is like okay. the whale episode. Okay. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Dave is okay, although I think that his whole obsession with spoilers is such a turnoff. I appreciate that on a storm of spoilers, there was a good spoiler bumper, but on this podcast, they just launch into spoilers on anything and everything with zero warning. I know Dave thinks that spoilers enhance this experience for many people. It really uh, doesn't so pushing your ideology on others, most of whom feel the opposite way. It just ruins it and makes me regret queuing up another episode of Fitwer. The bottom line is I'm, it's certainly not a terrible <laughs> podcast, but for me, the info and enjoyment I get from it is often, often overshadowed by the actively frustrating parts. You know what? Uh, we, let you, we, we let you say anything on this podcast and we read it. That's the best. I mean, yeah. I think there's some there's some constructive criticism in there. I mean, like if, if you're still listening after ten years and yeah. haven't turned us off, I guess there's some redemptive qualities in there. Uh, yeah, maybe know. listening to what you agree with all the time is not necessarily good. You have to hate listen to something. I don't think we're that elitist. Do you think we're elitist? I think we're like I don't know. snarky it depends, sometimes. I think it depends but, on where you're coming from, right? Like depending on what your perspective is, a lot of things can feel elitist that don't feel. Do I look down upon anything? I don't, I don't know. know. You interrupt people, though. I'll agree with them. On I think that. sometimes that's lag, but yeah, no. yeah, it's <laughs> true. Sometimes, sometimes it's lag. <laughs> I'm, sometimes, yeah. I'm not saying all the time. Well, 
now that we've taken that, thank you, Scarlet Letter 500, for the three stars. Uh, you know, you could update that if we ever prove you wrong, but it doesn't yeah. sound like we will. <laughs> yeah. sounds like ten we're years, not, we're not, ten years in, we're not on the right track here. Yeah, you have you have accurately pinpointed a lot of things, uh, criticisms, and thank you for uh, for doing that. Uh, this next one comes from uh, Wiper No Wiping, five stars. <laughs> Subject is solidarity. I've been listening for years, but never felt so compelled to write in until now. The last episode made me feel so incredibly seen. I went on oh, no. exactly the same wiping journey as Jordan Hoffman. Oh, no. I'm in my mid-30s and spent the first half of my life wiping standing up as I was distinctly taught by my mother. At some point halfway, I realized that this was incorrect and the subject of ridicule and, subject and switched to the sitting down method I call the monkey scoop. Going wow. in between the legs. A name. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Hoffman, thank you for being so brave and coming forward. There are more of us out there than you know. They discuss other stuff too. Five stars. <laughs> two two very different reviews to start yeah, off the I feel show. like they discuss other stuff too. Five stars should be in our iTunes description. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. This last one is five stars. It's from Backseat Directing. The subject is all quiet on the podcast front. And the review reads, I've been listening for over a decade and the hard cut during Jordan Hoffman's deranged rant about Ant-Man 2 being better than James Cameron's latest is one of the podcast's funniest moments. 10 out of 10. I guess we need to have Jordan back. This is, uh, yeah. The reviews are he, he's, he speaks to people, you know? People <laughs> Should we reward people if we don't have reviews? Like instead of talking about mobile games, we let Jordan Hoffman we come back Jordan and come update on, on yeah. the pooping? That definitely is not a punishment. So this is a good point. I also started playing Marvel Snap and have thoughts about it now. So wow, you know, maybe what when David comes back, I'm sure he wants to a talk about Marvel Snap and b then we could start scheduling some tournament games. Yeah, by then I'll have watch build it, myself but... back up because I accidentally deleted the app and destroyed my account, and I'm back to square one. I'm like in a very depressed Marvel Snap moment right now. So all the mm. listeners know, I'm sad. Yeah, that's not even the right uh, superhero franchise because why do we fall so we could learn to pick ourselves up? That's Batman <laughs> patches. Oh, uh, you can I'm leave us twisted. a review. <laughs> you can leave us a review on the Apple Podcasts app. We will read it on the show. If you don't leave us reviews, we will talk more about mobile gaming. If you are internationally reviewing, thank you so much for leaving a review. Please send a copy of your review to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com and we will also make sure to read that on the show. Let's do it. We would like to talk about Poker Face. It is a Peacock series that is airing week by week, and somehow I didn't realize that. I've been catching up on it and was really delighted to realize that this, uh, a uh, mystery of the week series is kind of unspooling it out uh, week by week, which is, I think, exactly as it should be. Um, it stars Natasha Lyonne. It's created by Ryan Johnson. Uh, you might remember Natasha Lyonne made a cameo in Glass Onion, uh, a prequel to Poker Face. Um, I've never watched <laughs> uh, not Columbo. To, not, te not technically, just to be clear. No, def <laughs> they have definitely nothing to do with not. each other, but yeah. Um, I've never watched Columbo, but it is my understanding that it's very similar to the format of Columbo where, you know, she is traveling around the, uh, country and has one gift, which is that she can always tell when people are lying. She can't always tell the truth and she can't make them tell her the truth. But if someone says something and she smells bullshit, she says bullshit usually. And, um, bullshit. from there starts, 
From there starts to unravel mystery, yes, and her very uh, signature raspy voice. Um, the first episode kind of sets up the concept in a way that I'm guessing you, you know, you should watch to understand what's going on because eventually she's tailed by Benjamin Bratt, who is kind of the um, the heavy at the casino where she had been working and she kind of uncovered the nefarious deeds of the uh, big high roller who works there. It doesn't really matter because the, most of the episodes are her going to a barbecue place in Texas or a retirement home or going on the road with a heavy metal band and solving completely unrelated mysteries. Um, and as someone who doesn't watch procedurals really, and maybe this is me being a snob, which we've been accused of over the course of this episode, um, the <laughs> delight of sitting down to something and knowing the story will wrap up in 45 minutes and kind of watching the the machinery of a mystery um, kind of click into gear. I'm not really that good at solving mysteries myself, but the beauty of the show is it's kind of showing you how the crime takes place. Then it flashes back and showing you how um, Natasha Leone's character, Charlie, goes about solving it. So it's less about like piecing it together and seeing how her mind works through it. Um, and you need a compelling star to make that work really well. And I think Natasha Leone is exactly that. Um, they say that you can watch these episodes in any order. I've been watching them uh, through. I'm up through episode five, six have aired as we record this. Um, I'm having a great time. Patches, I think you've watched similar. And you were skeptical early on. All of them. Can I call you out here? Because I think yeah, we, I guess we so. all chatted in, you know, text form about yeah. the show. When you, you watch the first episode and you're like, really? This is what people are on about? Yeah. <laughs> Again, this was coming through chat, so all this inflection I'm putting on it is not. Yeah, I don't think I was being quite that harsh. What is this poker face? But it was definitely like, hey, this is perfectly enjoyable. It's fine. But I think I underestimated the extent to which I wanted something perfectly, perfectly enjoyable, but not stupid to watch. Like, I'm not very good at watching kind of like throwaway television at the end of the day. I'm always like, oh, I got to catch yeah. up on like whatever the like hot new thing is. And. Poker Face is conveniently, uh, you know, the hot new thing on some level um, and also fun and really easy to watch. So I've I've enjoyed that balance a lot. Yeah, it's not disposable. Like I find Law and Order shows or the occasional Chicago whatever iterations of, of those procedurals. It's not like CBS flush it down the toilet after you watch it kind of show. Uh, and I think the dimension comes and I, I say this as a murder she wrote uh, devotee. And I've been think, wondering about the compa comparisons to Murder, She Wrote. Yeah, well, it, as you said, like, formally more in tune with Columbo. But I think um, the character of, of, of Jessica and the character that Natasha Leone plays on this show, Charlie, um, they, they both have something going on. Like, even though nothing that happens in an episode is necessarily consequential, a little more in Poker Face, but in Murder, She Wrote, nothing carries over. There's no serialization. There's just 23 episodes a season of Mercy Road. New mysteries every week. Um, but Jessica's still a character. She still carries, like, the death of her husband or, like, what's happening in Cabot Co with her friends and, like, and she's moved to New York in one season. And and Charlie, you know, in this first episode you're describing with Adrian Brody in the casino, she sees one of her friends, like, murdered or, you know, the, the murder at the center of it is someone she was very close to. And she's kind of haunted by death and she's haunted by her ability to snuff out liars and having to be on the road and on the run and you know she has no foundation under her feet so she's constantly rebooting her life and i think she carries that weight episode to episode which makes poker face just a little more interesting than like an svu uh rip from the mm. headlines kind of thing like there's something and then the characters that she's talking to she's like she's always finding friends whenever we meet her in an episode it's not just like I've walked up 
in accidentally into it. But this is where it has a little bit of a, more of an edge than a Murder She Wrote episode. Like she's already been there. That's the premise, right? She's already working at the BBQ joint or working at the racetrack later in the show. Or she's the roadie in the uh, punk rock episode, um, and she is she's become kind of like bonded to the players of the week. Um, and we only reveal it kind of after after the first commercial break how she's involved. Um, but that that strengthens it. Like there's actual relationships each week, even though they have to reboot it every time. It feels like she's made friends, and so she has a reason. She's there's conviction for her to solve the mm -hmm. mystery. And maybe in the even the more interesting twist is like you can't really call the cops most of the time. Like most of the time, she doesn't have evidence that X, Y, and Z happened or someone committed the murder. So how is she gonna like pin the people who did it down? And that that's interesting too in this conversation about copaganda and like what hmm. calling the cops can really mean it's 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 not about that it's about holding people accountable and that changes from episode to episode and i really like that yeah, yeah i think I mean, that she, oh sorry go, go ahead, ahead dave you have no, 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 please. um she changes the way you look at a lot of these characters sometimes like you'll meet them and you'll kind of see the the crime play out and then she shows up and her perspective is she's in scenes that you didn't see before she's I have the hiccups. Um, she's got a different angle on the scene that you didn't see before. Um, and, you know, I think about that in episode five where you meet uh, Judith Light and Esther Prothamurkerson as these two, like, former, like, 70s revolutionaries living in this uh, retirement home and kind of stirring up shit and being really fun to be around. And, like, when Charlie arrives and she spends time with them, she kind of has a, a different perspective on them. Um, and I think that makes it interesting, not just from a mystery unfolding way, but a, a, a character way both for Charlie and for the people she's talking to. I'm going to try to stop hiccuping. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I mean, I wouldn't classify this so much as a mystery show as it is a crime show. And like all good crime shows, uh, the most valuable thing you could have if you're not serialized <clears throat> is a like a rock hard structure. Like this is a lot like Law and Order SVU, except it's not about the mystery. It's about you as the viewer learning to anticipate the structure and then finding like joy in that. So I've only seen two episodes, although I'm aware of what happens in all of them, because I heard that you could maybe watch these out of order. I watched the pilot. I'm like, oh, I think I get this structure. And so I jumped to a mystery that sounded interesting to me uh, to try to see, you know, what that structure went. If I just started dumped in, jumped in the deep end with it. And what it sort of is, is uh, both my co-hosts have talked around it, but we usually start the episode not we don't start the episode with charlie we start it with uh somebody who's going to be involved in the actual uh crime that takes place and then we go all the way through the crime and then like pat just said we jump back and we figure out how charlie was uh, tangentially involved and then what's going to sort of motivate her to solve this case because yes there's no reason to actually solve the cases unless it's a personal character relationship she can't call the police and she can't punish people. Even in the first episode where she could have maybe called the police, she steps out of that way because she's like, she's not the police. She goes about things in her own way. So I just love the show for how it deepens a crime. It puts you in what should be the least, uh, you know, uh, empathetic perspective first. It takes you all the way through the crime telling you like exactly how it happened. And then we have to see somebody sort of figure it out. We have to see Charlie figure it out using her gifts, uh, which haven't read so much as magical to me, which I was a little bit worried about. 
I was a little mm, yeah. bit worried they might just be Encyclopedia Browning her and be like, mm-hmm. she's super smart. I mean, or like, they kind of do. I mean, it's it's not like overtly magical, but there's no explanation for how she possesses this ability. And it is no, it is like she I, possesses the force. Like, yeah. But, I mean, but, but I, I do like that the, oh, prominent. Like, I think her ability to sniff out bullshit is like once an episode becomes relevant to her figuring it out. But like, it's eh. so I feel like it's played. It's a bit of a spidey subtly. sense. Well, Which it's like fine. every, but also in every episode, at least that I am aware of, they complicate it in like one little bit, you know, like the second episode, she can well, tell somebody's lying about lottery tickets, but she can't tell, you know, why or anything yeah. like that. So this is so, where I kind of push back against the idea that you could watch it in any order. Like, I think that's true. It doesn't really matter because it's not serialized, but I will say... I think they've done a good job of getting you used to a formula by like episode two, episode three. And then when episode like four and five roll around, they're starting to to change how the show can work. So in episode five, you you think that she's going to be helping certain characters, maybe. And, uh-huh. and then more is unraveled about who they really are and what she's really calling bullshit on. And then in episode you know, I won't. I won't even go that far because I'm sure people are catching up with this show that is on Peacock that no one has, and people are only <laughs> now going to discover uh, Poker Face when it goes to Netflix. Um, and and like later in the show, what you think is the mystery isn't even the mystery, and the way that it's playing with the format, mm-hmm. it becomes it's like building on itself throughout the whole season. So yeah, I think you could jump in anywhere, but it. I think you were rewarded by following it episode to episode because of how it's leading you formally through like what is poker face as a format. Um, and it's exciting for them to already be kind of like changing it up. I don't know how long the show will last or if there's even going to be a season two, um, but I'm glad they're playing in the sandbox already. I thought they got renewed for a second season. A lot of people had talked about Natasha Leone, like being in a show like this for years and years. It was a comedy bang, bang joke and people on twitter constantly talking about like why she'd make a good columbo why do you think she's so good it or or do you think she's so good at this is this like a good fit is it a natural fit like why is she why is she this why is this perfect for her if it is i think you can easily buy her as someone who would walk into a situation and be like oh this weird okay and kind of adapt to it as much as she stands out and like she's not going to sneak into the background she's such a like striking figure but you can imagine her kind of being game for anything and also the way that she's like she doesn't really want this gift she was using it to be able to gamble for a long time and kind of gave up on that like and like it's not like she's a reluctant detective, but when she snells bullshit, she's kind of like, okay, I got to get to the bottom of this. There's like, there's a, a heart of gold in there, but it's not like she's working so hard to have this tough exterior. Um, and that's, there's a compelling contrast in there somewhere. Yeah, I think she's just a good base. Um, I think, you know, maybe it's because she can't necessarily play a character all the way to its conclusion. Uh, or, or maybe it's because simply her life isn't as dramatic as a Fletcher uh, when, it, when it comes down to it maybe just by sense of not having that many episodes yet to like fill it out but like what by the time Charlie shows up in the episode that is where I feel like and now we can begin like it could be mm. anything up until there 
she is the anchor she's what the show is about and i don't i, I did just say it also has like a great structure but the other great thing is it's just i uh, i will show up to see what scrape she gets in uh because i think the character is general enough now that you could see yourself in it or n at least be entertained by it uh because it doesn't at least as far as i've gotten in doesn't have any like very distinct edges uh to it you know it's not like a cop show where you have stabler going around and punching witnesses in the face you know every all of her actions seem <laughs> justified think stabler did that i mean all of her actions seem justified and they seem measured and they seem like what you would do if you were caught in this situation at least what from what i've seen in the series uh which is you know a, a protagonist to aspire to watch she also she wears uh a a hat and sunglasses and smoked a cigarette in a very uh, cinematic way. Anyway, sure. It looks good. It's always good. She's, she's got this empathy, I think, in the punk rock episode that you're talking about, Dave, like of the way that she has this affection for a character who everyone else is kind of sick of and like who hasn't really been presented as that like interesting a person. Like she has a curiosity about people and kind of a willingness to see people like see what they have to offer, which I think is really compelling to watch um, and makes all the characters she encounters more likable because you are interested in them because she's interested in them. And she's just so disappointed in people when they <laughs> murder or fuck up or like do greedy things. She yeah, is look, morally look righteous. how easy her entire situation would be solved if she was just willing to kill one old man in the pilot. There is something uh, to like, maybe no. we should not have any possessions in all Rome, America, and life would be a little mm. easier, but... No. It's a bit of a dream. Yeah, sounds it's like a, somebody that just escape. introduced Mad Max to his film club. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, Road Warriors. Uh, all right, so Poker Face is going to be airing new episodes until March 9th. Wow. Just look this up. So, um, yeah, there's still four more left uh, that have not aired yet. So get on it. Oh, 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 I'll get him hot and show him what I all right uh, as our reviews suggested our our mini segment last week was just wild we it, it got a little kooky and crazy and uh what i thought that was I people had, normal i thought people i think it was I, we had fun we had fun we got rowdy um we worked a little blue try not to do that too much on the podcast, but um, it happens. But now we're actually recording this on Valentine's Day, which is why I'm sipping a martini here and enjoying my romance with the two of you, um, mm -hmm. my favorite <laughs> relationships, celebrating them. Um, and I thought we sh we need to dial down our mini segment this week. Just have some chill fun after last week and keep it. I don't think this is going to be chill. Keep it I just, clean. So I'm getting a bad um, feeling here. No, I put I put together a little. Trivia. This is kind of more like a family feud style game for you guys to celebrate Valentine's Day. It's more of shout it out and see who can who can come out on top here. But um, to keep it chill on Valentine's Day, I thought I wonder if you guys could guess what Mr. Skin has named the top ten hottest A-list sex scenes <laughs> ever. Um, I have the list in front of me. It's it's ten famous actors in movies. I I wouldn't okay. say they're all famous movies, but I'm curious if you guys can name any of the movies on the 
again, this is the direct name of the article on Mr. Skin that I had to <laughs> sign up for Mr. Skin to be able to access the full thing. So oh, this no, is a bit they of a have disgrace. your email now. I oh, know. Boy. I don't know what's happening. Um, spiraling out. Did of you get them but... your credit card number? No, 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 no. There was no membership. That's a different tier on Mr. Skin. I went for the free account to just click through the 10 image gallery of, again, top 10 hottest A-list sex scenes ever, all caps with ever. Um, okay. There is an order. I don't know if it's truly ranked, but what what do you think would be on this list? And where where's your head going to like all time great sex scenes? Uh, you know, there's there's right now as we speak, there's discourse on the Twitter about like get rid of sex scenes in movies. I feel like this happens every two or three weeks uh, in social media when people are just like, we need to stop triggering people with sexual activities in movies and then other people being like, you gotta get more sex in there. Um, and I don't, I don't know what, why people continue to talk about this. Uh, hopefully we're steering people right then by naming the top 10 hottest A-list sex scenes <laughs> ever um, and letting people just go decide for themselves if there should be more sex in movies. What's on this list, guys? Any ideas? Any right, immediate gonna... thoughts? I'm not going to steer anyone right, but my immediate thought was just something that's been pretty thoroughly discredited, but I think Mr. Skin's going to be behind the game, which is Last Tango in Paris. No, that is not on the list. Also, that is... Is that of... too old a movie? Is Mr. Skin yes, skewing I... like 2000 onward? I would say... Okay. There is... There's one or two... There's like a, a 90s movie, a late 90s movie, maybe 2000 movie on here. Um, okay. But... Uh, no, there's a okay. There's a few '90s, but yeah, it's definitely okay. skewing older, or, or sorry, skewing younger. So the classics are not going to be represented on okay. the top ten hottest okay. sex scenes ever. So like Atonement, what is does Atonement have? That's a sex too classy. This is Mr. Skin. Is this Mr. Skin? Is that yeah? What's the Kristen Stewart one? Okay, you're on, on the, the right road. track. On the road. Yes, ding, ding, ding. Dave, I have no memory of there the being a road. sex scene in On the Road. That Jack period Herowak of the movie, adaptation. I believe, takes place in Colorado, which is why I remember On the Road. Boy, howdy. Now, Dave used to write, like, dirty articles about sex scenes and stuff online. <laughs> right, Dave? Am I right? Or, yeah. Like, yeah. Pornography or something, something. I don't want to dig up. I mean, I used here. to review pornography and then wow. I went to celebrity gossip and then I came to movies. It's a natural. Mm. It's a natural path for many. people. OK, no. so, so we got to we got to think like is actors body who heat are really, really famous. No body heat. No body. Heat. Oh, son of a bitch. So these are yeah, people would... who the Internet, internet grossos would find hot still. Excuse yeah. can I the Google... Internet grossos. I would just I would push back a little <laughs> bit and say. We would maybe all find these scenes beautiful. In fact, I would, I would say these are not a lot of. There's, a, it's pretty, a, it's a pretty classy list. Okay, okay. When it, all right, I'm sorry. Blue it's is like, the warmest color. No, that would that I'm surprised. Too classy. Well, top ten hottest A list. Yeah, it's true. Those people are I wouldn't consider. Famous. Okay. The French act that to be. Maybe we could te we could team up on this. Who are actresses? Wow, okay. Let's that... we're trying to keep it rated. I think R we're on the same team here. Like, this is, is Family Feud, not we? Are we? I mean, I think we're definitely on the same team because there's no way I'm going to. <laughs> there's no competition here. <laughs> yeah. If anything, Dave is in the lead, and Dave, Dave already won by guessing. It's going to be them. all actresses. Like, I I just don't think Mr. Oh, Skin's going to be no, like. No, you're yeah, you're right. This is a very hetero really list. Sex scene. <laughs> So like, has Jennifer has Lawrence ever had like a big sex, sex scene? scene between two men? Probably not. No, right? no. I'm more thinking about like a sex scene in which like with like Richard Gere and somebody like you know like where the man is the the hottie. Um, 
Right. Has Jennifer right. Lawrence I will, ever I will had like say a big my, sex scene my tease in the movie? Here is there's two somewhat prominent lesbian sex scenes on this list, and not Ooh. blue is the warmest color. Not, Carol no, no, is no, Carol in red, there? No, no. Carol. Red, Red Sparrow. No, that's Jennifer Lawrence. And is there I a sex scene? Yeah, I, I, I never saw that's that. Not a sex scene. You're on the. You're, that's the Mr. Skin method, but not. Uh, that's not sex. Right, right, right. Let's see if I can lead you down here. One, yeah. one. Uh, one thing I thought would be on here was Anne Hathaway in Brokeback, but it's not. And that's it's not. A, there's a different Anne Hathaway scene on here. Oh, Love and Other Drugs. No. What? This is a notorious movie that no one has seen, but is notorious because of the sex scene. Is it that movie where they're in Florida and it's all a video game? It is a movie called Havoc. Oh, oh, I don't know what that is. You're thinking Have of you... Serenity. Yeah, Serenity. No, but, God, uh... God, no. Havoc was like a mid-2000s, I think it was like L.A. drama. Yeah, no one saw this movie, but everyone talked about how Anne Hathaway had a sex scene. That is the only is, thing Is like Swordfish on there? No, no Swordfish. Where Halle Berry famously went topless? Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's just sunbathing. I don't think that's a sex scene. Is there a Halle Berry movie on there? No, there is not. Okay, I'm just really into actresses now. What about '90s movies that are pretty famous for steamy? Like, can you think of um, Showgirls? No, that's that's more nudity than the sex scene. Mm-hmm. This Titanic. is this definitely makes it confusing. Well, uh, wild Things. Wild oh, Things on wild here. Denise things. Richards and Wild Things. Yes, yeah. that's the right thinking. Um, okay. I guess Titanic does have a sex scene, but it's not. It very does, but explicit. it's not. Yeah, it's not. No, it's it's not. not the moment we all remember. No, the moment we all remember. That's the thing. So many of movies have like noteworthy nudity because like it's really hard to get an R rating with like a lot of nudity and a sex scene. Like I feel like uh, Katie and I are doing bad at this. There's (laughs) a 90s best picture winner on this list. The piano? No, he didn't win best picture. Um, Uh, I would. I was gonna say the the piano is on Mr. Skin. Yes, Shakespeare in Love with Gwyneth Paltrow. I don't know okay. if you remember this, but that's a lot of skin. And it is a sexy Yeah. Scene. And it happens both yeah. times. But like that's it's Recently very re-watched. romantic. Not like I'm, I'm it, it's not yes. oh what, excuse me. Oh, Shakespeare Love Fucking no. Rules. All right. We're gonna I'm fight whipping about up this. the hot takes here. Uh it's a great movie. Um and it's not like wild things at all. Like that's I don't know. All right, good choice, Mr. Skin. <laughs> uh did you say there's an eighties movie or is it just nineties? Uh, there is just 90s, yes. It, is there the, another like, 90s Wild movie? Things felt 90s to me, but, or it felt 80s to me, but it's actually 90s. Uh, there is another 90s movie, later okay. 90s. Um, this is, I'll give you, I'm going straight for the blunt hit. This is a Robert Rodriguez film. Can you name this movie? Spy Kids. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Spy Kids Christ. is some real hot. <laughs> Sick. Uh, I'm just gonna tell you, it's Salma Hayek and Desperado. Okay. Oh, uh, it is okay, quite yeah. explicit. It, it, is. It, it is. Yeah, uh, it's no, a moment. I remember now. It's a moment. Um, uh, she 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 cried during that uh, because it went it went too far. Wow. Oh, Great. They, so they've come to terms. They've come to terms with it since, but that's a bit of trivia. Really, I'm gonna have to send. It's actually not just Mr. Skin as the byline on this article. It's the person who wrote this list is Vava Vuma Thurman. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, gonna, Vava, I'm gonna reach Vuma out to Vava Vuma Thurman to uh, well, Vava Vuma Thurman. If you've been listening to Selma Hayek's recent interviews, some of the films are problematic on this list. Um, okay, all right. So we're now in the 2000s. 
Yeah, I think going, I going just, by timeline is, help, is helping. Well, we are in the 2000s. Right over the hump in 2001, we get a, an extremely famous actor in this moment. Um, a movie that you probably haven't seen. Like, who's the biggest star of the early 2000s? Who's just blowing up? Cameron Diaz? On the right track. Except she wears uh, a vial of blood around her neck at this point. Oh, Angelina oh, Jolie. Oh, Angelina Jolie. Yeah, what Angelina uh, Jolie movie is on this list, do you think? You would not. I don't. I don't. I have not seen this film. Yeah, I'll give you a hint. Her... It's based on the novel *Waltz into Darkness* by Cornel Woolrich. That does and a, yeah, and a remake does of Truffaut's *Mississippi Mermaid*. <laughs> is is it a? Is it *Waltz into Darkness*? It is *Original yeah. Sin*. Have you seen this movie? *Original no. Sin*. No. This With is what's so hard Antonio about this Antonio Banderas list. again. What? Oh, it's, wow. He does it again. Antonio everywhere. He is. This is this is tough. You guys are not going to get the rest. Of it. So let me just tell you to, to wrap no no it no. Up. Let's, um, let's. I like the hints. Really? I mean, are they literally going to be movies we've never thought of? I'll give a hint and then at least two of these can movies. Can we at least guess okay. the actors? Yes, yes, yes. Two of these movies you'll never. Okay, everyone here is obviously it's an A list sex scenes list. So okay, uh, Kate Winslet. Recent. What do you think? Recent. The recent. Recent. The reader. That's, that's what I was going to say, but that doesn't feel recent. Oh, oh, um, Ammonite? Yes. Yeah, a lot of oh. sex in that movie. <laughs> Wait, is that one lesbian sex scene? Oh, no, two. Are there, we counting wild no, things? Yes, there, no, no, there's another. No, There's, there's still a, one more, okay. One of the missing lesbian sex scenes on here is a Julianne Moore movie, also from the 2000s. Or, no, 2010s, mm. I would guess. The Kids Are Alright? No. Oh, this movie is technically 2009? There's a good sex scene with Julia, Julianne Moore and Mark Ruffalo and the kids are all right. This is art. This is an Adam Agoyan film. Can you name it? Oh, Chloe with yes, Amanda Seyfried. Chloe. I saw that movie. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of sex in that movie too. Yeah. These movies do not exist. No, they in, don't exist. In the cultural consciousness. Except no. unless you are Vava <laughs> Thurman writing the top 10 honest A-list sex scenes ever on Mr. Skin. Um, these last two movies I have never heard of, but they star big name people. Zoe Kravitz is is on this list in a movie it's not pussy island that movie hasn't come out yet no i have 2016 yeah emory cohen emile hirsch kid cuddy wow what is this movie oh, yeah. called vincent and roxy have you uh, heard no, of this yeah. movie they got no nothing. idea vincent wow. and roxy gonna have to Googling go back it now and check that watch out what Put your filter on before you go. Vincent in Roxy, not an and in. And the letter in Roxy. Sorry, I didn't emphasize the the letter there. And then the last one is uh, Oscar nominated this year, Anna de Armas. Now I will say it's not Blonde, which did make Mr. Skin's top sex scenes of 2022, which is a fucking disgrace. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Uh, there but it is, is not, not a single movie. pleasant sex scene in that movie. Is it Happy Deep to, Water? It is not Deep Water. This is, again, a movie I am not very familiar with. It did not seem to get a very big release, but it just Robert hasn't De Niro is movies. in it. And Edgar Ramirez is the star of this film. It is a biopic of the boxer Roberto Duran. Have you ever heard of Hands of Stone? No. No. Well, Vava Vuma Thurman has, and that rounds out the top 10 hottest A-list sex scenes ever. Wow. Not watched so many of the top 10 hottest A-list sex scenes ever. According to Katie, that means you're not scum. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I said grossos, not grossos. Scum. Grossos. You're right. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. Like, are any of these like hidden gems that you're like pointing people to? Like Shakespeare in Love, go for it. Uh, Am I? Isn't that really a good movie? Uh, if you grew up in the movie. '90s and haven't seen Wild Things, I think the time has passed for you to yeah. see Wild Things. <laughs> Well, we are talking about our next quarter quest. Should we put wild things on the list of artifacts from the late 90s to dig back up and see how they do? We were talking about date movies. Uh, Well, happy Valentine's, everyone. Make love, not war. Make love, not war. How we doing, Jimmy Pestos? I'm a bad man with a master plan And the ladies call me Jack. And the one thing all the ladies know is I'm good at having sex, 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 sex. I'm good at sex. Let's talk about a completely sexless movie. Yeah, let's. It's Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Peyton Reed is back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, directing his third film in what I would call until I saw the movie, the Ant-Man trilogy. Uh, this is uh, Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly are back as the titular Ant-Man and the Wasp. Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer are back after being unsnapped in Endgame. And uh, we have a new actress Wait, playing... pause. Wait, for one second, pause. I'm sorry. I, I, I've been already accused of interrupting people here, but this is an important fact. As Janet Van Dyne, a.k.a. Michelle Pfeiffer's character, she was lost in the quantum realm for 30 yeah, years. for like 30 years, yeah. She got back. And then got yeah. snapped by Thanos. Is that right? That's and then correct. was gone for three do years. Do we see her get snapped by Thanos? Like I'm. We do. Really we do in the, the post credit scene. scene of the second movie. That's pretty damn rough. Of which of the second Ant Man movie? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Because he stuck in the into, quantum realm. So let let's remind everybody <laughs> how we've interacted with the quantum realm and the Ant Man. Yes, slash because Avengers that, this tees so up the new character who you were about to mention. I'm, this is a, this I'm is a good segue. The, I'm going to be on the Wikipedia page for Ant Man and the Wasp to figure out if I have seen it because I don't know <laughs> if I've seen it. So, movie number one: Paul Rudd Scott Lang becomes Ant Man. We he's learn a, a very yes, he's a thief. We learn a very sad story from Michael Douglas's Hank Pym, who used to be Ant Man but has since given it up about his wife who used to be the wasp, but she, when they were trying to stop a missile from hitting like New York or Washington DC, I don't quite remember. She had to shrink between the atoms to disable the missile and was unable to regrow herself meant she was constantly shrinking and got trapped in the quantum realm. We are told it is the worst thing ever so much so that for the finale of the first Ant-Man movie, sorry, I'm rolling into spoilers for this movie that came out. You went to Quantum Realm in the first Ant-Man movie. Yeah, so Scott starts. To, he he sends Yellow Jacket there after the fight. That's the guy, the Yellow Ant-Man That's suit. Corey he gets Stoll. sucked in. Yeah, Corey Stoll okay. gets sucked into the the to the Quantum Realm, and then Paul Rudd gets sucked into the Quantum Realm. But because he loves his daughter so much, which apparently is something that Michelle Pfeiffer's character didn't think about, he is able to put like growing particles back into his regulator on his belt and come grow out of the quantum realm. And he becomes the first person to do it, which means at the end of the first movie, Michael Douglas is like, maybe we have a chance to go in there and find Janet, which is what he's tried to do in the second film, Ant-Man and the Wasp. He has created a quantum gateway uh, to get back to the quantum realm, when he opens it up, Michelle Pfeiffer's character <laughs> Janet 
is able to possess the body of Paul Rudd in order to successfully help them build a machine to send Hank into the quantum realm to get Michelle Pfeiffer back just in time to realize that the quantum energy that Michelle Pfeiffer has absorbed is what stabilizes the villain of that film, Ghost, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, that at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp, in no, order to be keep... seen in the Thunderbolts or whatever. Correct. In order to keep Ghost stable, the post credit scene at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp shows that the Ant team has been using the quantum portal to jump into the quantum realm, collect quantum energy, jump out to treat Ghost. Uh, but while uh, Scott is in the quantum realm gathering quantum energy, Thanos snaps everybody away, so there's no one to pull him out. Begin I remember that. Avengers I remember End. him like popping up in a car. Basically. That's Avengers Endgame. Begin yeah. Avengers Endgame. Scott pops out of the quantum realm and he has only been there for like 20 minutes. Everybody else has spent like over three years in a snapped uh, reality, which leads them to the realization that the quantum realm works outside of time, which leads Tony to Stark the, to come up. Yeah. To the plot of with, Avengers Endgame where they time. Yeah. With the re- reverse Mobius strip pattern that allows him to map certain parts of the quantum realm and allows them to jump through time. So that's where we are with the quantum realm. At the, at, yeah. At the, the beginning of this movie, Paul Rudd's like, I fucking saved the world. Uh, and he's written a book about the events of uh, Endgame. And everybody knows that Ant-Man got, you know, turned into a baby and they did some time traveling and everybody got undusted because they defeated Thanos. And uh, things seem to be going pretty well. Uh, Scott Lang's a little full of himself. Evangeline Lilly's Hope Van Dyne has been promoted to run Pym Technologies, which is now Pym Van Dyne. It's she's like a corporate head. Uh, Evangeline then, Lilly has like ten lines in this whole movie. It is very yep. very peculiar how she has been completely sidelined while also been made more important in the world of the film. <laughs> I, I mean, that's that what there. happens. So it happens when you're a vaccine denier, but the lead wow. to your film series didn't die. Hardcore. Uh, so is that really <laughs> why you think that she's sidelined in these movies? That is a complete conspiracy right there. But yeah, maybe, I mean, I mean, theory. I here's the thing. Everybody in Ant-Man. Let's get into Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. They all get sucked into the quantum realm. They it do. turns out Michelle Pfeiffer has been lying to them the entire time. She had a whole other life and series of adventures in the quantum realm. She knows there are people down there, which we didn't know at this point. She knows those people have been taken over by this guy named Kang, who apparently crashed his, like, crazy magic interdimensional ship down there. She has... Stop magic! uh, It runs on science! Science! (laughs) She knows knows that Kang needs to stay down there, so rather than sharing all the information about the quantum realm, uh, she has tried to keep them out of it, but they get sucked back in, uh, and Kang wants some information from uh, Janet. Uh, that is the plot of the movie. They get sucked in because Scott's daughter, Cassie, mm-hmm. who gets a bigger role in this and is now played by Catherine Newton. Of, mm-hmm. uh, yes. Uh, what was Third she Cassie. in? Uh, Detective what? Pikachu. She's oh, great. Yeah, Pikachu. That's right. she's, also on, freaky. she's also she's a freaky. on Big Little Lies, too. Okay. Um, she's not very good in this movie, unfortunately. But she does build a Hubble telescope for the quantum realm direct mm-hmm. quote and it alerts Kang to their presence and they get kind of honey I shrunk the kids sucked in to it like accidental shrinking 
shenanigans yes. well, not are going on specifically here. Kang, but actually yes, it's more like Tron. In- and I'm not just saying that as a Tron head. It- this movie has a lot in common with Tron Legacy. Uh, and I was there for it. I was there for it. So here's what I can promise you, reader, that is stuck with us through that review. I have no interest in spoiling Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania for you Same. because it's not like an Iron Man 3 where there's a big plot twist that changes the way the movie plays. The movie is an adventure film where they're trying to get out of the quantum realm and avoid Kang the Conqueror. That is what happens. How it yes. happens is some of the most Jack Kirby comic book nonsense makes no actual sense shit I've seen. And because this movie's only like two hours and seven minutes and does only not... Only two hours and seven minutes. I don't yes. know. I, I saw that runtime. I was like, hallelujah. Yeah, that, no, that me is, too. That sounds like a great amount of time. Because considering what this movie is being hyped up to be by people who follow Marvel movies, which is like, this is the beginning of Phase 5. It's the introduction of Kang the Conqueror. We're going to figure out, you know, this. We're going to figure out that. The movie does want to faint towards those things, but mostly it wants to be this, like, weird sci-fi romp that doesn't spend too much time, so you can't really dig deep into thinking about anything. It's a series of, I think, fairly visually entertaining set pieces, uh, with the bare minimum amount of caulking where two characters sit on a green screen stage and talk about what's actually going to happen, uh, which all of that, I think, is just part of what happens when... It definitely uh, has product- that Spy Kids sheen where... Yeah. Just like, were you, did you shoot this entire movie in Robert Rodriguez's basement? Uh, it, it's this very is- CGE. Yeah, well, I mean, it's Ant-Man and the Wasp ended up being very CGE too, but they scanned like the entirety of San Francisco to create realistic backgrounds, and you know, sure. we know what San Francisco looks like. This because it is goo people and light people, people and giant bugs and a broccoli man. You know, it's like there's not a lot to <laughs> there's a broccoli man. There's not a lot to hook your hands into, so it does look fake and it does look weird uh that wasn't so much a turnoff for me because if there is like a series of these superhero movies if there is a superhero of these superhero movies that should get weird i'm uh actually happier that ant-man got here than that yeah for yeah. some reason in the marvel cinematic universe people decided that's what thor is which is really fucking weird to me as oh. like of all the characters to pick this why is thor is the one allowed to be so weird? much better than love and thunder i can't believe it i well i I gotta say um dave i talked to a bunch of people after our screening i got to see this in imax which is cool it was filmed a bunch in imax i guess um it certainly went big and changed aspect ratios at certain points but um talked to a bunch of people after everyone hated it like people think this movie sucks ass i mean polygon ran a very negative review did not care for it i gotta tell you I think you and I are the ones who like this. Um, maybe I'm just feeling the sting of being called an elitist here, but like we're gonna, yeah. we're gonna defend Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I guess I'm, I'm just like I was surprised how down people were about this, and and a lot of people went in, and our our chum Jordan Hoffman from last week uh, was kind of dragging the movie in advance, and and fairly I think because we both him and I both really liked the other two Ant Man movies for being funny and being kind of like true comedy playing with sight gags and shrinking and growing and having the heist elements and and being light on its feet and that's kind of what 
Peyton Reed was hired to do, like be a comedic director in the Marvel space. And now you're hiring this guy and taking this crew and doing this big gobbledygook CG odyssey. Like, I, I, I think a lot of people see the trailers. My wife included was just like, what the fuck is this movie? Because it just makes no goddamn sense when you see the trailers. Um, and I was surprised. I mean, CG that it gobbledygook feels... is something I think specifically a lot of people like me are just like, I can't do it anymore. Like, do not right, make and, me and... go into a big fake world again. But what I was surprised about is that it still feels like Peyton doing the comedic thing. It feels, as Dave said, his retro sensibility, what people love about um, Down With Love, I feel like is actually on full display in this movie. Oh, it's very, yeah, yeah. very much like a 1950s B-movie, Journey to the Center of the Earth kind of riff, where it's like, that's weird! This is weird! There's a talking goo man and a broccoli head guy and like people who shoot lasers out of their heads. It's like, what is all that? Like, at some point, you have fucking goddess Michelle Pfeiffer, legend Michael Douglas, riding on what looks like a giant piece of salami, like, through the underground world, and then they talk to big alien guys from Star Wars, and I'm just like, what is going and on then, in this crazy movie? And then Bill Murray shows up as Bill Murray? Bill Murray. Like, there's I know, no background uh, to his character. I gotta say, there's, there's a lot going on with Bill Murray these days, but I was laughing at every single line coming out of his mouth. Very funny, and I was knocking the movie at the beginning of the segment for being sexless, very, very clear uh, talk about Janet Van Dyne and Bill Murray's somewhat human, but not really quantum realm guy uh, fucking. So I was into that, too, that there's there's here, like there's really weird sparking chemistry between the old people in this movie. And I'm here for it. It's because they yeah, know how to I, actually be movie stars. And I know no I one think ever that's gets right. a chance to do that anymore. I, I do. Th I do think that is actually it. Like the dividing line of what works in Ant-Man and the Lost Quantum Media for me and what doesn't is it's all nonsense. So because of that, you have to re really rely on the people who could sell nonsense. And Jonathan Majors can sell nonsense. Michelle Pfeiffer could sell nonsense. And Paul Rudd could sell nonsense. And... I think Michael Douglas could sell some pretty awesome nonsense. He sells a lot of movie. nonsense. He talks a lot about ants in this movie. There are more ants than I was expecting. Um, and they do really far out weird ass shit. Uh, and Michael Douglas just yammers on about ants. He also spends, I would say, 50% of the movie with his hands in goo. Um, because yeah. the spaceship they're driving is run by goo. And he sticks his hands in goo. And he's constantly just <laughs> holding his arms up, driving a goo mobile. Um, weird. Weird movie. Very wet. Very wet. I have a yeah. lot. I want to know about Jonathan Majors um, because I like him as an actor and I really liked his appearance in Loki, which mm -hmm. I believe connects to this movie significantly. And you guys can tell me how later if you want to. Yeah, we'll get um, there. He just pops so much in that last episode of Loki as this kind of like casual, funny supervillain who's, you know, aware of kind of the non-existent stakes because there's so many variants of him out in the world. Um, does he get to be that? version of Kang in this movie is he fun to watch I I, I I definitely want to hear Dave talk about this in a second but I want to juxtapose it with something which is on the wavelength of what we were just talking about which is this movie it's written by this guy Jeff Loveness who I believe was a Rick and Morty writer the whole MCU yes, is yes. just going through this Rick and Morty fication right now between what's his name who wrote Multiverse of Mad in Madness and just like I mean, there's so many we, Rick and Morty people with their hands on the Marvel movies and shows right now. It's very strange to me. And this is the ultimate Rick and Morty episode. This is live action Rick and Morty to me. What? How, 
and 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 there's scenes where like Paul Rudd gets multiplied is talking to a bunch of Paul Rudds and that feels like a Rick and Morty bit or just like hey man I'm the goo guy you want to put your head drink the drink the goo drink me um it's like I know we can't even like imitating Justin Roiland feels wrong right now but uh that that was easily imitating Justin Roiland that easily would have been Justin Roiland uh, <laughs> if if that guy wasn't uh canceled um but like then to get to John Major Jonathan Majors what you think is interesting about his performance at the end of Loki Katie I think it carries over into this, but it does slam a little bit into what this movie's whole vibe is. Like he's kind of in a different movie to me, mm. and maybe not always in a good way. That he might be the low point, even when he's a great actor. And I'm like into Kang and what the future holds. But Dave, what do you what do you make of Kang? The way they set him up, and do you, do you think he clicks more than I did? What how do you feel about Kang? Uh, I think it's really smart what they did by creating this multiversal villain that was introduced in a way where we know he's a multiversal villain because this is the serious one. So Katie, you will see a lot of the like calm threateningness that was in he mm -hmm. remains, but it will actually be threatening. It won't be this sort of like jokey, no consequence thing. Uh, this Kang is capable of getting a little bit angrier and you'll get the idea that this one uh, could kill you if he wanted to. Uh, I do think that he... I, I see what you're saying, Patches, where he's the sort of thing that doesn't work in this movie because everything in this movie can get weird and the Ant-Man movies have sort of like this weird comedy base from being leftover Edgar Wright movies. And uh, as soon as they come up against Kang, he's just having none of it. Like, it's not a character that you could joke about yet. And so Kang is very serious. And when people are in scenes with Kang, uh, they have to deal with serious consequences. Yeah, Kang's like, I'm going to murder your daughter. And it's like, yeah. I was quipping earlier. Calm down. Yeah, yeah. But I do think that's a great way to kick off uh, this build towards us eventually facing the problem of Kang. Because unlike uh, I, like phase two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I don't think we're necessarily going to have a villain problem. Uh, there's a possibility that we could have like six or seven Kangs and still think he's a viable villain worthy of a threat, even if he, you know, gets defeated or doesn't get defeated or like transports out and, you know, cackles. He's much more of a serialized comic book villain. Mm. This really, as where, when it comes to the Kang version of this movie, I think this movie uh, wraps up the Amp family's story pretty well because they, none of them are really allowed to have arcs. Maybe Cassie has an arc. Uh, but otherwise, this movie... Stay. Cassie's here to stay. Don't oh, I'm just saying she's, she's the one that starts off thinking one way and might end thinking oh, a different sure. way okay. about her powers. Where I think everybody else just sort of is in, on this like madcap run to get MacGuffin and get out of there. Uh, Kang, the way they treat Kang is a lot like a comic book where it's like this is one part one of 12 or maybe part mm. two of 12 if you count loki season one which i actually would and this is the one where you feel like the menace you can't see what's going to happen in part 12 the phantom but you know yes well i mean not the There's phantom because you get you get it's to actually see more, it. it's a bit more attack of the clones by the end when Full geonosis battles are happening in the quantum realm but mm. yeah yeah sure okay but there's this idea that there's something down the line and what this movie has to do is sort of set up 
like when Thanos finally showed up in Infinity War, one of the first things he had to do was uh, lock down Thor and beat the shit out of Hulk. So it was like, you thought these two were strong. Here's your bad guy. This one, we've seen him as sort of like a monologuer in Loki. Now it's time to see the guy that potentially could kill all the Avengers and maybe has, according to him. Uh, he uh, talks I, a lot about killing Avengers in this movie. I think a bit of it is in the trailers, too. But he he yeah. does possess... I was talking to someone who's like, I don't understand Kang's powers. And I'm like, he's just a guy who from the future who's invented a lot of stuff that make him almost unkillable. And uh, there's variations of him all... Like, you can try and defeat one, but he, he does seem so uh, foreboding, I suppose. Like, the movie does do a good job of setting up the impossible task of eliminating Kang from the Marvel universe. Even, you know, this movie goes in directions. I won't spoil about like this Kang. Um, and there's so much out there about it. the, the fun part too, Katie is that Jonathan majors, at least based on some teases in this movie, is just going to like get to do a million things as Kang. Yeah. And there's a million flavors of, of Kang. So he's, he's um, going to be in a million Marvel movies is the, uh, I don't know, actually, if he'll be in, like, tons of Marvel movies based on what the lineup coming up is. Like, I don't think he's going to be in The Marvels or Guardians of the Galaxy 3 or I mean, yeah, I mean, you don't, want, you don't want the same guy in all of them. I get that. Right. He'll he'll pop up when he needs to. He's. I feel like he'll be pretty instrumental when they do, uh, like, Fantastic Four eventually. Don't you think, Dave? Like, that's another... Well, he does one. say a Kang Dynasty in this movie, so we know that he'll be a big deal in that. But uh, I would guess you're probably, and this is just a guess, you're probably only going to see King one more time this year, and it will not be uh, in a movie. It'll be on Loki, right? Uh, yeah, yes. I think because yeah. he's part of that. He's part of that story, and Definitely. that's I, that's that's the nice thing is that I feel like this is a villain that can only come in when he's part of the story, which is much better. Than someone like Thanos, who was sending lackeys all the time until mm. you know, fine, I have to do it myself. This, the I do think that Kang is a threat that can bleed into other things without um, someone have to, you know, whip off their mask and be Jonathan Majors at the end of it. Uh, but again, this movie's not really interested in setting any of that up. I don't think there's going to be like a lot of explaining. There's the a little scaffolding, but I, I was going to agree with you. Like, there's there's a lot of little. I was going to ask, like, what are the little things in this movie that entertain you? Because I feel like it's all of the weird design stuff. It's all the weird jokes about the quantum realm. This is just an adventure yeah. movie, right? This is just like from point A to point yes. B to point C to just see what weird thing they can come up with next. And curious yeah, so what like, what stood out to you. Drink the Ooze, Probability Storm. Oh, we love that. Uh, the Krylar's Restaurant, I guess we'll call it. That's the Bill Murray characters. The end of the thing. line cafe of uh, this movie. Yeah. yeah. And then um, uh, I actually think that Modoc is really funny. Yeah, we haven't what talked is, about Modoc. What Katie, is Modoc? Do you, know what Mo do you know what Modoc stands for? It's an acronym. Nope. Classic. Nope. Another. Dave? What is mechanized Modoc? organism designed only for killing? <laughs> okay, it's an acronym. And, he is uh, a uh, he's a big head. floating head with little arms, a little feet, who has a floating chair. Uh, Patton Oswalt played him played him in a stop motion series on Hulu recently. Oh, Katie, he's the he's like the face of the new season of Marvel Snap. You haven't seen him? Oh, Modoc? no. 
He's literally I, yeah, he's this season's character. I'm not far cause... enough into Marvel Soft. Hang on, I'm gonna go get my phone. What? Oh, yeah, I can't. It's, it's right behind me. I don't know. I can't yeah. go look. Anyway, Modok uh, is is uh, a bad guy. He's evil. And in this movie, I don't think it's a spoiler to say who he is. Do you think, Dave? Like, I mean, it's technically in the trailer, but uh, yeah, they, they do t- they do they do treat it sort of like we're not supposed to know. It's so true. I think it's a fun little gag. Like the fact, well, one getting Modok in the movie is ludicrous, and anything is possible in the Marvel universe now. Like any character on the bench is ready. It, there's room for it all in the in the Marvel universe they've created. Um, but to be able to kind of like wind it back to some other, this is when the interconnectedness of Marvel is fun as opposed to just like slamming things into each other and making references. Like there is a world here, and it keeps coming back, folding in on itself, and and. The Modoc of it all is is really fun, and he gets an arc, and the design is cool. Like seeing him in action, he has like hologram blades, and he's ripping people apart. Modoc, yep, he's got Vicious. like the Bugs Bunny power of pulling more guns out of his body than volume yeah. would allow to be stored in his body. Uh, but yeah, I, I a lot of people who are hardcore Marvel fans are going to be very mad about Modoc, but I really enjoyed Modoc. I think this might not have a lot of jokes. Uh, or not as many jokes, but I do think a greater percentage of them land than something like Thor Love and Thunder. And yes. there's this weird feeling that this is the kind of movie that Peyton Reed would rather be making. It's not that I don't think he made, you know, good runs at Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp, but I don't think heist movie was necessarily what he thought. This is a guy who's been through both the pandemic and shooting the Mandalorian, and it shows. Like, if Peyton Reed wants to do movies of this scale, uh, he's 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 I think figured out a fun adventurous way to do it. If there's anything to hold against it, it is very light. It's a jaunt. Uh, I think that the Jeff Loveness screenplay, which does play very Rick and Morty, but I like that. I was expecting something like this from uh, Multiverse of Madness, which also had a Rick and Morty writer. Yeah, but that one I feel didn't go crazy enough, and this one I'm like, that's the level of craziness I would like. And then let Jonathan Majors explore this character in any way that he wants because he's a he's a magnetic property uh does it work fully as a thing yeah i don't know but it's like probably my second favorite phase kickoff after civil war and civil war <laughs> you know just threw a lot of money at it second favorite second phase favorite. kickoff yep better than iron man in terms of what it's trying to do i think uh much better than iron man 2 in everything uh not as good as civil war because civil war has airplane fight but definitely more fun than civil war i'll give it that and then uh what what kicked off phase four wandavision yeah i think this is maybe not as character based but much more fun cinematically than i'm uh pulling up to see what vava vuma thurman ranked this uh in their list of top phase kickoffs though uh, there there is a butt so it could be could be getting high <laughs> there's, there's a, a butt, butt in this movie there's a butt in this movie there's a no butt spoilers in this movie? But there's a butt in this movie oh man this is not coming back to me oh i will fill you guys in um after we head into a yeah. break love but a butt ant-man of the lost quantumania i think it's fun it seems to be uh gonna have a hard time on the ye old rotten tomatoes and uh it'll be open this weekend in cinemas everywhere phase five we're back baby also maybe i'm positive on this because this is the first marvel movie ever i haven't had to write critically about 
uh, within like three <laughs> days of seeing it. So I might just be enjoying uh, watching ridiculousness for ridiculousness sakes, but Ant-Man and the Wasp. Base five. I just want Jonathan Major to do good things. That's all I Not ask. Not a lot of Wasp. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. David will probably still not be back, but we'll be here. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches, deputy editor at Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Patches. And we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com. Oh, I bet you can listen to reviews of all of the Ant-Man films. Definitely been doing it long enough. Uh, yeah, Ant-Man 1, <laughs> yeah. the Wasp, they're all there. Go back and listen. Did we like them? I think we did. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I'm going to sidestep this for a second just to ask a question of my co-hosts. We can edit this out. We probably won't. Isn't a quarter quell next week? Uh, not yet. <laughs> not yet? Whoa, 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 whoa. We've planned it. <laughs> we, know we know what we're doing the topic. for it. I think we do not want to do it without David. So uh, he that was the main thing I was found ask a very good a procrastination tactic, which was having a baby. Um, yeah, we'll get there. Just not yet, I think. Okay, good. I need to figure out how to do the decimals then so we could, because uh, <laughs> this is episode 424. Just so, keep slicing those numbers to into the quantum realm. tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. 0.25. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7. You can find David Ehrlich on Twitter at David Ehrlich. He's the head critic at IndieWire. I am a podcaster uh, that does this and another show called Trial by Content. That you could find on the Ringer Network. We're trying to decide the best zombie film of all time. Uh, in a three-week bracket. Uh, this week, we have uh, Slow Zombies, so your, your classic Romeros and uh, Shaun of the Dead. Check it out. You can also email us this podcast at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Good work. Uh, I'm Katie Thank Rich. You. I'm at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast where we're still talking about the Oscars. Actually, next week, you can look forward to our 2003 Oscars flashback episode, which is going to be incredibly fun. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H, or we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where I would like to know what you would like to see Jonathan Majors do, because uh, he can do anything, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, what is your favorite cinematic ant moment? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. I'm done.